guys. Welcome to the Tori Says Show. I am running a little bit late today. I apologize for that. Hopefully the uh, Christmas music that's non-copyrighted music so I don't get struck by YouTube. Remember, digital camouflage, very important. Um, Kept you some company. I did notice that I had some audio issues. So welcome to the Tori Says Show. Today is December 7th, 2020, and I'm... uh, I'm actually broadcasting from Arlington, Virginia today. Uh, we <laughs> we have so much to talk about. Uh, this may run a little bit longer than usual. The one thing that um, I want you guys to know is that you are starting to see who actually is providing you information and who is not. You're starting to see who rides coattails and who is the coattail. And you're starting to see through the uh, illusion, this, how did Comey say it? This uh, fabric that they have woven. Uh, It is quite incredible, I have to say. There is uh, so much coming to the forefront. And a lot of people uh, state the obvious now, in retrospect, uh, this all has been avoided with um, our president simply firing every single Obama holdover. But let's be honest, had to be this way. And hopefully those of you that have been listening to me for the past, you know, over two years and right, I'm going to, I'm going to fix that season thing. It should be season three. Um, I'll try to sit down tonight. It's just been uh, one day after another. So I'll give you like a short, uh, brief understanding of um, what I've encountered Uh, without saying way too much, but just enough, all right? So coming here to D.C., as I've said before, was something I didn't want to do, one, uh, because people uh, within certain agencies would recognize me, which is number one. You know, even if you put on 50 pounds, people can still recognize you. Uh, (laughs) But also uh, that puts a very big target on my back. Not to say that I haven't had one, but some people are easily pushed aside when they have insurance on them or when they believe that uh, they can uh, let them be. But that'll be a little bit more clear uh, toward the end of the show. I had a very interesting interview uh, with someone that um, that is an incredible person, and I speak to this from a point of personal knowledge, um, and I got to steal some of their time away, <laughs> um, which was great. I've introduced um, you guys to uh, one of these incredible people uh, by letting you know a little bit of their history and um, my assessment of that. So uh, that will reveal a lot more so you understand. Because there's a lot of people that do these decodes and talk and say things, but they really don't know how long this has been um, put into motion. And that'll be a little bit more apparent at um, 
by the end of the show. Uh, so when I got to Washington, uh, obviously I came here on my own. Uh, I think I was live on, on air with you guys and said, well, you know, I might not be doing show because I might have to go somewhere. And I frantically took my kittens to get vaccinated for being boarded and just, I'm so salty about that big, I mean, 10 days, you know, a grand, that's a lot of money, but it's like, all right, that's fine. I'll have to eat that cost because I had to go. <laughs> so when I got here, I noticed factions, factions of groups trying to get a footing to control the information flow in regards uh, to this uh, fraud that has many components. It's not just the software, the machinery, who owns it, how it was accessed, the postal workers, the, the, the funding of it, the riots. It's, it's so many that you have to stand on the moon to look down. So coming here, I kind of sat back. I, I, I even told, um, you know, the rest of Team America, you know what, just, just go with it. See, uh, see what, um, what they say, flow with it, and watch, because they'll all come out. Now, to some individuals, I pointed out three specific names and said, these three persons are obstructing everything. One of them peacocked at me. I even tweeted about him, didn't I, Samuel Charles Faddis? So, um... I mentioned it and, um, you know, when you're a ghost like me, when you're a person that doesn't exist, people either dismiss or take what you say with a very huge grain of salt. And I'm fine with that. The proof is in the pudding. Turns out, um, I was right. And so now all these gatekeepers and the sequestration of all this information is, um, is now being united. We have lawsuits. We have information. We have whistleblowers. We have so much that almost every great mind, and they're, they're, they're about, I think it would be 10 groups, 10 individuals per se, that must come together. And this is starting to happen. And I'm really excited to see that that it's finally starting to come together, even though it's a little bit late. It's uh, better late than never. And I'm glad that things are moving along. Now, I'm kind of disappointed, um, you know, in the way things are moving. Uh, some people are turning up dead. People are being COVIDed. Um, and that's just roadblocks. Uh, judges are posturing and demanding that people file court cases before there's an issue to file a court case, which is perfect because the people need to see the insanity. I mean, I'm only human and you're only human, right? Per se, per se, you're human. I'm per se human only. Uh, and um, it drives you nuts looking at it and you're thinking, what the, this is not, this is crazy, right? Crazy.
Well, it's through chaos. It is through chaos that you are able to find stillness. One of my favorite pictures of President Trump, I think was taken in Mar-a-Lago or some event. I'm thinking that it was an event in Mar-a-Lago because Abe, um, Prime Minister Abe, was with him. And um, he's sitting at the table with a little smirk and his hand uh, propped up and looks completely perfect and still, while around him, everyone else seems to be in motion. And stillness doesn't mean to be quiet or motionless. It means that you find your center to be able to adjust the right filters to hear what you need to hear, see what you need to see. That's important. And so right now you're in the middle of chaos and I can tell you the chaos is everywhere uh, because there is full panic. Panic by those that are responsible and there are many for the situation we are in now. But the panic lies within those less than a dozen people. Those are the people that are causing them panic. Causing panic up through every chain. Up through every chain. So that would mean your first line would be your social media influencers. Those are panicking. Because they're not on the right side. Then you have your um, media. Who I can tell you is also panicking. Not so much because they will get caught. But it's kind of like the same scenario as, remember when that Epstein, um, when ABC was upset, when she was pissed because, hey, I had that story three years ago and they didn't let me report it? That one. They're going to be salty on that. But, you know, you're the asset, so stop complaining. You're not a real journalist, right? Let's put that out there correctly. These people are not real journalists. They are all assets and they all do what they're told. So after your social media influencers, and that's all of them, even the ones that think that they are doing good because they have their massive followings, they ignore the little guys, the people with the 300 followers, the people with the 10 followers, the people with the 10,000 followers, whatever it may be. So we got the social media influencers in panic because that means that they don't have control because people are starting to see that they're riding coattails as opposed to being the coattail. Media is the same. And then come the politicians. And then come the global leaders. So this panic that you are seeing on your TV, on your social media, on your searches, email, inboxes, whatever it may be, is a reflection of what's going on within the courts, in cyberspace of discussions, in D.C. and Virginia, because this is where they're panicked. This is where they realize 
that they've lost the chokehold. That was a make-believe leash they had, and they cannot take back control. So I thought that today's show can start off with our president's um, rally in Georgia, where FLOTUS wore something that was akin to me as <laughs> something freshly created. You know, I did tell you guys that my dad was a furrier, so um, I know leather and fur goods quite well. And she looked incredible, incredible. And our president looked incredible. And his words were very, very, very carefully chosen. Once again, like that 46.58 second speech where he rang that bell for that last call where he made it clear, this is it, because it's going forward. Now, um, I, I say this to the people that I am I work with here and have discussions with and exchange information and dig and put together nice little presentations and information. I tell them the same thing. Do not think... That if we stop doing what we're doing right now, that this still isn't going to work out well. <laughs> it's already done. We just have to do the work to make it look like we're doing the work now. That it hasn't been already done. And I'll leave it at that while I start um, that clip right now of our president in Georgia. So take a listen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Now we won a lot of places. We won Florida. We won Ohio. Big, big. We won them big. Remember, we were going to lose Florida, they said. We were five down in Florida. We won by a lot. We were way down in Ohio. And we won big, by... big. We won them big. Remember, we were going to lose Florida, they said. We were five down in Florida. We won by a lot. We were way down in Ohio, and we won by a lot. I think they say that if you win Florida and if you win Ohio in history, you've never lost an election. This could be a first time, but the truth is they were right. We've never lost an election. We're winning this election. And and I will say we're fighting very hard for this state. When you look at all of the corruption and all of the problems having to do with this election, all I can do is campaign, and then I wait for the numbers. But when the numbers come out of ceilings and come out of leather bags, uh, you start to say, what's going on? But I want to just tell you that I am. I love this state. I love the people in this state, and I'm thrilled to be back in magnificent Georgia with thousands of proud, hardworking American patriots. 
Let me begin by wishing you all a very Merry Christmas. Remember the word? Remember? We started five years ago, and I said, you're going to be saying Christmas again, and we say it proudly again, although they'll, they'll be trying to take that word again out of the vocabulary. We're not going to let them do that. I also want to express our profound condolences to the family of Harrison Deal, a young and brilliant campaign staffer for Senator Leffler, who tragically died in a terrible car accident yesterday. You know about it. He was an incredible, magnificent young man. And I just want to say our prayers are with his friends and loved ones, and we will keep his memory in our hearts. And he's looking down right now, and he's very proud of Kelly and David. He's very proud of all of us. So I just want to express my best wishes, okay, to the family and everybody. Thank you. Thank you, Kelly. And let me also express our warmest best wishes and love to all of those people and families suffering from the COVID pandemic. Vaccines are on their way at a level that nobody ever thought possible. It would have taken another administration five years. It took us seven months and they're starting next week and we're going to start vaccinating. And a lot of people already are vaccinated. It's called you have, you caught it and you're immune. I hope it's true. You know, they say that before I had it, they said, if you catch it, you're immune for life. Once I got it, they said, if you catch it, you're immune for four months, right? You know, <laughs> but they're on their way, the vaccines and they're great vaccines and safe and brilliant, actually, to think of it, what we've done in such a short period of time. Nobody thought they call it even some of the enemies call it a medical miracle, what we've done. And we also have great therapeutics and they're already here. And I can uh, testify to that fact. I'll tell you what, some incredible work has been done over the last seven months. And we should always get credit for that. Don't let anyone ever take it away from us. We're gathered here tonight to ensure a very important word, ensure, because these are two great, great people that I know so well and respected by everybody in Washington and beyond that David Perdue and Kelly Leffler win the most important congressional runoff probably in American history. I really believe that. I think it's an American. There's never been a time like this where you have two at one time. At least you have two beauties. And you know what? You also have two beauties running against them, but beauty in a different way. They're two beauties. But there's never been a, a case where a state has had this prominence on Senate races because they're never together. And uh, this is something that's very important. And you have to get out. You have to vote. You have to make sure you have every vote counted. Every vote has to count. You got to make sure they don't throw away any ballots. You got to make sure that when they collect the ballots and they start bragging about any ballots they already have, you got to make sure your secretary of state knows what the hell he's doing. And you got to make sure your governor gets a lot tougher than he's been. He's got to get a lot tougher. Because at stake in this election is control of the U.S. Senate, and that really means control of this country. The voters of Georgia will determine which party runs every committee, writes every piece of legislation, controls every single taxpayer dollar. Very simply, you will decide whether your children will grow up in a socialist country or whether they will grow up in a free country. And I will tell you this, uh, socialist is just the beginning for these people. These people want to know 
further than socialism. They want to go into a communistic form of government, and I have no doubt about it. Somehow that doesn't suit Georgia too well. That's not, that, that doesn't work too well, I think, Kelly in Georgia does it, huh? David and Kelly are running against radical John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock. Ossoff and Warnock are the two most extreme far-left liberal Senate candidates in the history of our country. And you got to vote the one time. How did that happen? I think you both got lucky, but we'll see, right? We'll see. You must go vote and vote early starting December 14th. You have to do it. They cheated and they rigged our presidential election, but we will still win it. We will still win it. We'll still win it. And they're going to try and rig this election too. Now we are, uh, we continue to fight. We've had some great moments. We just need somebody with courage to do what they have to do because everyone knows it's wrong. We need somebody with courage, somebody that makes decisions. And we'll be going up to the Supreme Court very shortly. And we really, if we have, if we have courage, Wisdom, I think you know what the answer is going to be because you can't let people get away with what they got away with. With over, think of it, with over 74 million votes, over, think of that, more than, I got more votes than any sitting president in history, 11 million more votes than we got in 2016. And we thought that if we could get 68 million, 67 million, that would be the end, all of our great, brilliant Geniuses said, uh, you'd win if you get 67 or 68, it's over. We got 74 million plus, and they're trying to convince us that we lost. We didn't lose. They found a lot of ballots, <laughs> to be nice about it. And they got rid of some, too. The 74, let me tell you, the 74 could have been even higher. As the great pollster, John McLaughlin, who's really uh, a great pollster, one of the most highly respected, he said, there's no way this could have happened other than the obvious cheating or a rigged election. There's no way it could have happened. You know, it's, uh, it's interesting. I wrote this out and I had just a few of the facts, which I think because I want to get onto the presidentials. I want to I stay on presidential, but I got to get to these two because they're incredible. But listen to this, these are the facts. And each fact is like irrefutable and it, it means win. President Trump received, done by one of the most brilliant political people. President Trump received more votes than any previous incumbent president in history. And we lost. And we lost. So we received more votes than anybody in history, any incumbent in history. And we lost, supposedly. We didn't lose. We're gonna, you're going to see that. No incumbent who received 75% of the total primary vote lost re-election in the history of our country. President Trump received 94%, not 75 which is one of the highest in history. In fact, President Trump is the only one of five incumbents since 1912 to receive more than 90% of the primary vote. And again, 
Anybody received over 75%, they won. We won, we got 94%. President Trump set a record for the most primary votes ever received by an incumbent, ever. And nobody that's received all of the primary votes, nobody's received at a much lesser level than what we, they always won. But we didn't according to what they say. It's rigged, it's a fixed deal. Nationally, initial numbers show that 26% of President Trump's voting chair came from non-white voters. The highest percentage for a GOP presidential candidate since 1960, that's a long time ago. President Trump went, think of this one, President Trump won 18 of 19 bellwether counties. You know what a bellwether county is, it's a big deal. So I won 18 of 19, a record, never happened, that between 1980 and 2016 voted for the eventual president in every single election, and before that it was almost every election, and we won a record, 18 of 19, never lost. Nobody's ever lost with anything like that. Biden did not demonstrate coattails for the down ballot races. Had no coattails. I'm shocked to hear that. All right. So I'm going to stop there. Wow. He said coattails. I, I didn't even hear it. I didn't hear it in full. But uh, I just wanted to interject here while you listen to the rest. My frustration is, is that he has to sit there and tell the world his achievements and how it is statistically impossible that he lost because no media is putting it forward for him. The journalists that we supposedly look up to to provide us information, to, to keep us informed, have failed. They've done a complete disservice to everything. And uh, before I continue this so we can listen to him, coattails, that's so funny. Wow. Um, uh, Millie Weaver is a rare breed of journalists. And I'm not saying this because she's my friend, even though she, I'm angry at her right now for friend reasons. Um, she's actually completely impartial and wants to bring the truth. Uh, being here in D.C. and obtaining information and watching what's going on has frustrated her for not being able to give it to the people. And that's because sometimes we have to wait. And as you'll hear, my uh, the person I interviewed, what you're watching on the news, we had three weeks ago. What you're watching play out, we had three weeks ago. And what's happening now, I can tell you, we knew about 15 years ago. And that's a, a pretty big statement, but it all makes sense by the end of the show. So let's just listen to our president doing the job of the journalist. This is why I've always said, don't even listen to me. Just listen to your president. He tells you everything you need to know. In fact, he got 80 million votes, but when he made a Thanksgiving Day speech on the internet, they say he had less than 1,000 people. How do you have 80 million votes and you have 1,000 people? No, how do you have 80 million votes and you have less than 1,000 people? 
wait, I have to say something on this, right? Like on Thanksgiving, I had more viewers than Joe Biden, who had so many votes. Let's just, I just wanted to throw that out there. With Republicans maintaining control, here's what happened. So Biden didn't demonstrate coattails down ballot races, but with Republicans maintaining control, first time this has ever happened. Control of the Senate, winning all 27 toss-up races in the House. Kevin McCarthy, great job. Mitch, great job. Winning all 27 toss-up races in the House. Think of it. We didn't lose a seat in the House. Think of this. First time that anybody, I think, in history, we didn't lose one seat. Normally, you lose two, three, five, and you replace. We lost nobody sitting in Congress. I worked hard in the House with Kevin McCarthy. Not losing a single legislative chamber and making big gains at the state level and holding on to the Senate. I mean, look at what's happened. We better hold on to the Senate, you two. And there's never been numbers like that where a president even came close to losing. But they say we lost. The only way is they stuffed the ballot boxes. President Trump won. President Trump won, as we said, both in Florida and in Ohio. And no, and by the way, won by a lot. Remember, you know, remember, remember the fake polls where they said he's down by four in Florida and a won by a lot. He's down by two in Ohio and we won. I think we got eight or nine or something up. No, but nobody's ever done that. Those two very powerful, big, important states. And the beauty is that we also won Georgia and that was good. And we won South Carolina and we won Iowa, remember? We're not going to win in Iowa, they said. We're not going to win. I think the farmers like Trump a lot, right? Well, we won in Iowa by a lot. We won in Iowa by close to record numbers. I think I have the record. And we won all over the place. And many of these swing states, you know, it's a very interesting statistic. President Obama beat Biden all over the country, except in some of the swing states where Biden beat him badly. How does that work? And it, they say it's statistically impossible. He beat crooked Hillary. Think of this. He beat crooked Hillary in the swing states, but she beat him everywhere else. Let me tell you, this election was rigged and we can't let it happen to two of the greatest, most respected people in Washington. We can't let it happen again. Can't let it happen. Can't let it happen. Your governor could stop it very easily if he knew what the hell he was doing. He could stop it very easily. Hundreds of thousands of illegal votes were cast in each state. Far from, I mean, you look at this, hundreds of thousands more than we needed were cast in every state we're talking about. Not only here, but Michigan, Pennsylvania. How about Pennsylvania where they throw the poll watchers out? They threw them out. They literally threw them out. And they did it here too, by the way. But we caught him cold and have numerous cases pending. And so far, we haven't been able to find the people with the courage to do the right thing. And that is true in Georgia, certainly. But we're going to hit those people and they're going to go down in history as great people. They're going to go down because everyone knows what took place. But we're going to talk about the presidential election a little bit later because we have a big senatorial race going on in Georgia and we are watching Democrats very, very closely. And remember this, 
we had this massive race all over the country. So they could cheat in Georgia and people aren't really watching it like they should. And, you know, again, all I can do is say I'm running, win, and then do a good job as president. That's all. I run the elections. I don't run to see if people are walking in with suitcases and putting them under a table with a black robe around it. I don't do that. That's up to your government here. And for whatever reason, your secretary of state and your governor are afraid of Stacey Abrams. They're afraid of her. So we know the Democrats are planning to cheat and we can't let them do it again. And we're going to pull ours out one way or the other. But we have to be vigilant because I don't want these two to work like I, you know, we're going to easily win. And that maybe for the first time in a long time, I'd go take a nice little vacation for about two days and then we go back. And instead, I probably worked harder in the last three weeks than I've ever worked in my life doing this. And I've become friendly with legislators that I didn't know four weeks ago. And actually, they're great people. In fact, in my pocket right here, we have a couple of them right in here. Whisper Jones, whisper Jones. Bert, Bert, boy, you're a young guy. I thought you were young, but not that young. Bert Jones, I want to thank you, Bert, for being here. You're friendly with the man next year, right, huh? He's a man of courage. Thank you very much, Bert. I appreciate everything you're doing, and so does this big crowd. And this is a big, this is a lot of people. Also, Brandon Beach, Senator Brandon Beach. Brandon, thank you for everything. We appreciate it. William Liggins, William, where's William? Why are you so far away, William, from them? Oh, I, I like that group better, actually, I agree. And Greg Dozel, where's Greg? Greg, thank you very much, Greg. We appreciate it, really do, we appreciate it. Great people. And we said, uh, have this brought back into your legislature, Governor. Have it brought back, let these people make it. Keep it open, keep it transparent, and let us have a signature verification. What's wrong with that? They keep counting the same votes. I said, don't count votes. Look at the signature. You're going to find the signatures aren't what they were two years ago, four years ago, six years ago. But our two great Senate opponents, and these are two people that fight, and they're going to fight like, I don't know if you know this, but one of the people that you're fighting, I went against him, Asaf, four years ago. He was against a very fine woman, Karen was a, a great woman and he was leading by quite a bit and we ended up beating him. He didn't even live in the district. He was running for Congress. He didn't even live in the district. So uh, we're going to have the same thing. But Ossoff and Warnock will be total pawns of Chuck Schumer crying Chuck. I only see him cry when the cameras are on. But he said, he did say this. Maybe I'm hurting you when I he did say this. If we get in we're going to absolutely make Donald Trump's life miserable. Can you believe that? That's Chuck Schumer. He made the statement. We're going to investigate him. Oh, those investigations will go on and on. Well, they've been investigating me since the day we came down on the escalator, which what turned out to be our great first lady. We came down the escalator, right? And, and they spied on our campaign and lots of other things. But... Nancy Pelosi, AOC, Bernie Sanders, and the lunatic radical left. That's what you're going to have is Chuck Schumer said rather infamously, 
First we take Georgia, then we take America. But they don't mean take America like in a good sense. They mean bring it over to things that the people of Georgia don't want. You're not going to like it when they want to take over your farm. Gee, we own this farm too. You know, we were here also. We own this farm. So um, I just wanted to interject. Uh, this, uh, this morning I actually retweeted something Ilhan Omar put out. And it's quite telling. It's telling as to where they're taking this. She tweeted out that, you know, people will have homes for all, Medicare for all, no student debt, a Green New Deal. Don't listen to those saying these policies are too radical. We get to decide what's possible. Let me tell you something. Slaves that still exist around the world. We could talk about the Salt Islands and Korea. We could talk about Haiti. We could talk about the Dominican. We could talk about all these nations that actually have slaves, servants, whatever you want to call them. But guess what? All of them do have a home. And if the government's going to give you a home, you should know it's not going to be a three-bed, two-bath, suburban home with a white picket fence. Medicare for all, as long as it doesn't cost the government money, because you will have what they have in England. Uh, The only case that you've actually heard about was that of Alfie. Too expensive to get that treatment. Let the baby die. Oh, sorry. Um, This is way too expensive. Just die. Uh, This old person has dementia. Let's just starve them so they can die because it's too expensive. Oh, sorry, that's rubbish. Well, you know. Uh, there's articles on torysays.com uh, that you can read in Oregon. They have death panels uh, deciding their state legislature actually passed something saying that they can legally starve um, dementia, Alzheimer patients because they cost too much money so they can die. No student debt. Well, you're not going to have debt if the government says what you're allowed to know. So what these people are pushing is modern day slavery, which is packaged into some surreal, insane, dystopic, but they're pushing it as a utopic way of just simply existing. Think about it. If you're, if you've got everything, a home, salary from the government, uh, education from the government, then, then what is your purpose? If there is no struggle, what if, what is your purpose? If they've picked it for you, you simply exist. No, you're cattle, shadow, cattle. You're simply a product. And that's very important that people understand that because while it sounds great and dandy when you're down and out, (laughs) man, 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 it does not look good. What's the point of going to school and learning something new? What's the point of trying to invent something? I mean, yes, there's a problem, but I don't care. I'm still getting paid, so why bother trying to fix a problem? Why would I go 20 years to be a doctor if I can make the same money sitting at home and just doing doing data entry or reproducing or doing whatever the government tells me to do? Think about it. When you hear things like that, you got to think about that. What is it exactly that they're telling you? Slaves had homes and they had health care and they had food in their tummy and they had whatever education their master said they could. Think about that. Here's exactly how they will change America forever. 
The radical Democrats, if they get power, they will immediately abolish the Senate filibuster, allowing them to pass any bill they want and giving them free reign to ram through the most extreme left-wing agenda ever conceived, while at the same time destroying our military through lack of funding. And by the way, tell our senators, end section 230. End section 230. Put it in, we put it in, I want it in the defense bill, put it in, because it's a national security problem. It's a big national security, so hopefully Mitch and the senators will put it in. But it's the one chance we have to bring big tech, who are vicious and violent and untruthful, to bring big tech. It's the only thing they fear is that we're going to end Section 230. So hopefully we will do it. It happens to be a politically very popular thing to do, by the way. If these people get control... Their draconian military cuts will devastate Fort Benning, Fort Gordon, and the military families all across Georgia. And we would also like to save the names of the forts, if you don't mind, everybody. They have the right, you know, they put in the Elizabeth Pocahontas Warren clause, where they have the right to take all the names of our past warriors, heroes in some cases, many cases, some turned out to be uh, heroes in disguise, perhaps. But they want to take the names off and they have the right to desecrate, to take down, to destroy, to demolish places in our national parks that we don't want demolished. So we have to be very careful of that. We can't let that happen. Put it. They want to put it in our military bill of all people. Elizabeth Warren puts that clause in the military bill. They will impose total open borders so that people can pour into our country and they will give them free health care, free welfare, and the right to vote in your elections. You won't ever win another election as a republic. They even want to take down the wall. You know, the wall, I won on the wall too. We won on a lot of things. Take down the wall. I heard him say it the other day. We will take down the wall. You know, we have the strongest border we've ever had now. We're almost finished with the wall. Strongest border, right, Sonny? And we built it despite it's incredible the effect it's having. We built it despite rather, rather, everybody said no chance. I mean, we had a whole very powerful Democrat party oppose me. And yesterday, I don't know if you saw it, the court just ruled that the money I took was taken illegally. So at least we have a legal wall. The appeals court. So we took it and we built the wall and we'll be finished with it very soon, but it's had a tremendous impact on illegal immigrants coming into the country. And by the way, we want people to come into our country. You see that by the vote I got, but we want people to come in legally and through merit, through merit, where they can help us. The radical Democrats will implement nationwide catch and release. You know what that is? You catch a killer, you catch a rapist, and you say, oh, thank you very much. Please give us your name. Oh, come back in three years. We're going to put you on trial. Oh, good. You never see them, by the way. Remember, I had that debate with Joe Biden. He said, no, they come back. Yeah, they don't come back. They don't come back. No, they don't come back. Like, never. Maybe 1%, but I doubt it. That's the end of them. You let them loose in our country. I got rid of it. You think that was easy? And install sanctuary cities all across the country. That's what they want. Freeing criminal aliens and MS-13 gang members, the most vicious people. They don't like guns because it's not painful enough. They like using knives. It's true. They don't like guns. They'd rather cut somebody up. 
to wreak havoc and terror upon innocent families. We've moved thousands and thousands of MS-13 the hell out of our country. We moved them back to where they came from. And some we put in prison because they're too dangerous to move back because they'll try and figure a way. You know, they're not stupid. They're vicious, but they're not stupid. Sort of like the Democrats, if you think about it. They'll confiscate privately owned firearms and share uh, what they will do. They will share everything with themselves, only dangerous equipment, and they will totally cut up a thing called your Second Amendment rights. They'll make Washington, D.C. a state and many other places guaranteeing two, four, or six additional left-wing senators. You know, they want to make numerous places states. This way you have a lot more. Louis, you can have a lot more company in Congress. You'll have lots of, you'll have another 30, 40 congressional people from places you've never even heard of. You've never even heard of Louis Gohmert, the great Louis Gohmert. And they'll be voting against Georgia every time completely canceling out your voice in Washington forever. Like David Perdue, I'll never forget it. You got hit by a piece of a hurricane. Remember that? The farmers got hit so hard. And I went with Sonny and with David and some other great people from Georgia. And I said, is there a way we can pay these people? They never asked for anything. And their orchards were wiped out. The men said this was going to be the best crop I ever had. I was a week and a half away from from. Finally, after 10, 12 years making some money and a week and a half early, he gets hit by the remnants of that big hurricane from Florida. Great state, great place. But you got hit. And David, we took 100 percent care of those people. right? We took 100 percent care. Yeah. With the help of Sonny Perdue, secretary of agriculture. And I felt so good. But I met those, you know, I met them. There were 33 of them standing and they were all in line. What do you do? I have this. What? It was a tragic, it was, and nobody wanted anything. They didn't even want it. They said if we could borrow it, if we could, they didn't want it. These are incredible people. They don't want anything. They just want a level playing field, but we took care of them. They never forgot it either. It's very interesting. I still hear from some of those people. The extreme left will pack the Supreme Court with 24 radical justices. That's the last number I heard. I used to hear it was 16. Now it's up to 24. Pretty soon you'll have another Congress. 24 radical set of justices we have right now. And they want them to revolve and down the court system so that Supreme Court justices can spend time in other locations. Here we go. That was rather good. It's good to be a developer every once in a while. That was the one where the judges ruled yesterday. So they said it was fine because I called it natural security. So we took it out of the mill. They didn't figure that one out. Now they do. But you know what? They don't have to be careful because it turned out to be very popular, very successful. Shut down sanctuary cities, end chain migration, and protect American jobs, David. He voted to confirm the 300 of the judges that I talked about. The federal judges interpret the Constitution as written. And when the Democrat mob came for Judge Kavanaugh, David Perdue stood strong. And, you know, I'm just thinking they both stood strong when they impeached your president for making a perfect phone call. I'm the only president ever that got impeached for making a perfect phone call. But those two were among the best. Senator Perdue is outside a businessman, a great businessman, and a true American patriot. You need him fighting for you and your family and your values because the United States Senate cannot be the same without him. 
So that's why I'm here. You know, I don't do these things for other people. In fact, I was curious. I didn't know if anyone was going to show up. I said, I'm doing it for other people. This is a hell of a crowd. Look, as far as the eye can see. As far as the eye can see. I don't like doing it for other people. I said, David and Kelly called, would you do a rally? I said, not really. I did 56 of them in a little tiny period of time. I said, let me have. And I said, uh, when they asked, I, it was really not. But, you know, I don't do them for other people. It's a lot of work to do a rally. A lot of work. People don't realize what you do. I did five a day the last four or five days. One day I did six. Six. And the smallest one, think of it, the smallest one at 25,000 people. You think that's fun? So what is he telling you by telling you that? He's, he is your source of information and he's coming out to you to give it to you because no one else will. Well, I mean, some of us are trying, right? Um, but it's not the case. Uh, people are not putting out the information you need. So he's going to be finishing it up now and we're going to listen to it. And now we're going to go back uh, to revisit what he's been saying. And I will tell you how it coincides with what I have seen with my eyes. And I'm pretty sure that Millie Weaver, like I said, who's very frustrated because just like, can you, can you just wait like a day or two before, like, we don't need people knowing some stuff. Um, uh, she will be uh, live streaming her perspective. Remember, she is probably the only one giving you actual information. Uh, and I'm hoping that she's kind about it. She's, you know, she's my friend. But she takes her job very seriously. And um, she will give it to you the way it is. I may not repeat some of the things that she may. Then oh, that's because I see that a lot of people, their hearts drop when they hear things that concern them. Uh, you know, I, I see responses sometimes to even my tweets. Oh, nothing's going to happen. And I can't do anything but tell you by the end of the show, you're going to understand just how people who can actually tap into quantum work. And you're going to understand just how long this operation has been in motion yourself. And many people may say, well, why not be, why not spoon feed us, Tori? Why not throw in the information into our mouth uh, like we've been trained? And then that's not how we learn to discern. You can take in information, but it takes away your ability to discern. So um, again, by the end of the show, you'll have everything you need to understand that things are going as they should. Um, and I'll talk more about the hindrances as well. So let's uh, listen to um, our president uh, finish up here. In some of them, it's uh, 75 degrees, and in others, it's 20 degrees below zero, and you're doing them both. 
I'm saying, how's the weather out there? Sir, it's about 20 degrees below zero. That's good. Then I land the next stop. How are we doing? Sir, it's 82. David's opponent, John Ossoff, is a radical left-wing zealot who is very proud to be endorsed by Bernie Sanders, Crazy Bernie. Ossoff supports defunding the police, supports the crazy Green New Deal. That's another beauty. Don't forget, the Green New Deal is really $100 trillion, okay? It's $100 trillion. They don't say that, Louis, do they? They talk about $3 trillion. They got down to $3 trillion. No, it's $100 trillion is what they wanted. That's more money. If our economy was going unbelievable gangbusters for 100 years, no recession, no anything, we couldn't come close to making $100 trillion. They want to rip down buildings and rebuild them with no windows. I like windows. I like big, beautiful windows. He wants to... Do a total government takeover of healthcare that will destroy your doctor's offices and rural hospitals. So if you're sick, if you, call, if you have a cold, go to a hospital, wait online for about three days and hope you get a decent doctor. Ossoff also supports a crippling nationwide lockdown. He wants you to lock your home nice and tight after you're inside of it. And he passes legislation to let Hardened criminals go free. Get them out of jail. Get them out of jail. Ossoff will be a complete tool for the radical left donors who are trying to buy Georgia Senate seats. You see the money these people have raised? I mean, it's, it's really, uh, it's very, uh, well, of course, I just raised $250 million. And I should say, I didn't raise it. It just, uh, I said, how are we doing on that front? You know, because we didn't get great publicity. Boy, were they, they were so happy, these guys. Don't, you might not be happy in a few weeks, you know, you might. Oh, they were so happy. I said, how's fundraising going? They said, sir, uh, about 250 million. I said, 250 million what? Dollars. How the hell did that happen? Because people believe in what we're doing. That's why. They believe in what we're doing. But that's why our donations come from Silicon Valley. San Francisco and the other liberal places, and they don't come from Georgia. This is not your fault. I know you. You're with me. I'm with you. We've always had wins from primaries to elections. We won two elections, believe it or not. I think I won the second one by more than I won the first one. I do, right? Bill, I won the second one by more. On January 5th, you also need to vote for your incredible Republican senator. Kelly Leffler. Kelly has been an exceptional champion for Georgia's workers and families. And I know what they fight for. They, if I could tell you about David, I could tell you about Kelly. She fights for you every single day, loves your state. When our nation was hit with the China virus, Senator Leffler helped rescue the U.S. economy by voting to pass a historic $3 trillion bill Relief for American workers and families. And a lot of people were against it and it turned out to be a great thing, Kelly. Thank you. A lot of people said, oh, it's too much. I said, it's not their fault. I want to get them more money now. And I like the higher number rather than the lower number. We'll make it back. With her help, we secured $15 billion for 175,000 Georgia small businesses and saved 1.5 million Georgia jobs. That was both of them, really, both of them. Kelly is a relentless advocate for Georgia farmers, and she has fought tirelessly to get them relief 
in this pandemic. And by the way, her husband is a fine man who's one of the most respected men in the country. I want to tell you that. I want to tell you that. He's a great man. He's a great gentleman. At the urging of, you know, if you're successful today, it's supposed to be a bad thing. No, I think it means you're smart sometimes, right? He's a smart guy, but he's a great guy. He's a great man. At the urging of Kelly and David, my administration took historic action to protect growers of Georgia blueberries, peppers, squash, and cucumbers. Who, who does cucumbers around here? Because I like cucumbers. Can you, I'm the only one. I like cucumbers. When our law enforcement heroes were under attack, Senator Leffler stood up to the Marxists and introduced legislation to protect our brave men and women in blue, and she was threatened all over the place. That threat meant nothing. That was a wasted number of phone calls or how the hell they threatened you. That was a waste of time. She also introduced legislation to prevent Democrat gun grabbers like Beto O'Rourke. Remember Beto? Beto. There's a guy, he has another one. He wants to take your guns away. Oh, by the way, Trump is going to lose Texas, but Beto O'Rourke, who's a big factor in that whole thing, wants to take. Remember when Beto was running, he was riding high, and then Ted Cruz has done a great job, beat Beto O'Rourke. But Beto was riding high for a while. And remember, he was on the cover of a certain really bad magazine. I won't mention the name. It's failing. It won't be in business for another six months, I don't think. I hope. But he was on the cover. And he said, I was born to do this. And I said, anybody that says they were born to do this, they're going to be losing very quickly. And you know what? Within about two months, he was a stone cold loser. <laughs> and just weeks ago, Senator Leffler cast her vote to confirm our newest Supreme Court Justice, Amy Coney Barrett. <laughs> they both did, by the way. <laughs> they both did. I can't leave David out of that one. Kelly's opponent, Raphael Warnock, is a dangerous extremist who is radically opposed to your values. He said he believes that, quote, nobody can serve God and the military. Oh, really? An appalling statement that dishonors the memory and generations of American heroes who fought for God and for our country. Raphael Warnock has openly declared his support for socialism, and he has even praised Marxists all over the world. He once hosted the barbaric communist dictator, Fidel Castro. He likes Castro. I think he was a good man. He was a good guy, he said. He falsely slandered patriotic Americans as racists. He called police officers gangsters, thugs, and bullies. He supports abolishing cash bail. Look at what happened to New York with their cash bail. No cash bail. No bail. Don't worry about it. You killed someone. Don't worry about it. You know, you're on the honor code. And he's declared, quote, open up the jails, free the violent criminals and prey on Georgia, families, children. Now you can't do that. This is not for Georgia. I'm telling you, it might be for some places and I do that too. This is not for Georgia. I think Raphael has to move to another state. Try it again. Warnock is strongly anti-Israel. And Warnock's own writings make clear that he believes America is a sinister nation that must be punished. Don't just take my word for it. We did something. I shouldn't be doing this for them. It costs too much money, but we'll do it anyway. We have a little video to play, please. Senator Sanders, Senator Warren, and myself are all on the same team. What are you willing to sacrifice 
to make sure that overfunded police departments are defunded. There is no middle road on the climate crisis. I not only support a Green New Deal, I don't think it goes far enough. I'm all for a Green New Deal. This is part of what gun registration is about. We want to track where the guns are. We need to cut the defense budget. Popeyes or Chick-fil-A? Oh, Popeye. Are you in favor of expanding the court or perhaps an age limit uh, in place instead of a lifetime appointment? Look, I've said everything is on the table. But if we win the majority, everything is on the table. Now we take Georgia, and then we change America. Change is coming to America. The blue wave is comprised of those who are documented and undocumented. We win these races in Georgia so that we don't have to negotiate. That's their goal. Total radical control to bring horrific change to America. Only Georgians can stop them. Nobody can serve God and the military. Raphael Warnock attacks our military. Police power. A kind of gangster and thug mentality. Warnock attacks our police. Somebody's gotta open up the jails. Raphael Warnock is dangerous. No wonder he defended this. Not God bless America. God f- America. Now my hope is that uh, in early January, Democrats will pick up two more seats in the Georgia runoffs, uh, and that will make our life uh, a lot easier. We need to send a message this year. We need to send a message that if you indulge this kind of politics, you're not just going to get beaten. You're going to get beaten so bad you can never run or show your face again in public. Because we have had enough, absolutely enough, of what we are getting from Donald Trump and his fellow travelers right now. You're not just going to get beaten. You're going to get beaten so bad you can never run or show your face again in public. So we had, I just looked at that one scene because it was in Washington and we had about a month ago, incredible crowds of people. Uh, they were angry as hell at the election and they showed up and it was incredible. Hundreds of thousands of people. People couldn't believe. Now, of course, some of the fake news said hundreds of people are here. No, no, no. Tens of thousands of people. And, you know, Antifa, Antifa showed up. Not the right, but the left showed up. And they looked at some of these people and they wanted to attack the crowd. I'm going to interject and then fast forward. I wanted you guys to hear that. Antifa showed up. Not the right, but the left. Think about that for a second, because our president understands the power of words. They are spells. That's why we spell words. What did he mean by Antifa, not the right, but the left? Think about that for a second. As you listen to him right here. If the envelopes were correlated to the votes, because you'll find there are far more ballots than there are envelopes, all you have to do is count them up. How many ballots do you have? How many envelopes do you have? And if the voter rolls are studied, in other words, studied to check the signature, Miss Smith, oh, 
It's a totally different signature from two years ago, from six years ago, from 10 years ago. What's that all about? We will find that hundreds of thousands of ballots were illegally cast in your state and all over the country, by the way, more than enough to give us a total historic victory. This is what we've created. I'm the only one in many, many decades that hasn't started a war. Everyone thought that with my personality, I'd be in war the first week. They're all saying war. And we developed relationships. Let's see how he would do with Kim Jong-un of North Korea. I don't think too well, but whatever happened to that? Remember I came in, it was gonna be war with North Korea. It was gonna be war with everybody. No, we built the greatest military in the world and the better it is, the less likely it is that we're gonna to have to use it. But everything that we've achieved together is on the line on June 5th. In this election, you can send a message to the fake news media and there's a lot of them right back there. June 5th. And they'll find something wrong with this evening. I don't know what it is, but they'll find something wrong. Maybe it was the person that shouted love. They'll say it was a horrible protester. They'll find something, Kelly and David. They're going to find something. They're looking, they're having a hard time. It's been a love fest. This is a love fest for these two people. But they all want the Silicon Valley censors and the corrupt Democrat political machine, their partners. You must vote for David Perdue and Kelly Leffler. Go out and vote. With your help, we are going to continue our mission to save America. We will defend the right to life, religious liberty, free speech, and the right to keep and bear arms. They're going to take your guns away. We will always support the heroes of law enforcement. We will maintain America's unrivaled military might, and we will preserve peace through strength. We will protect Social Security and Medicare, and we will always protect patients with pre-existing conditions. Right? We will stop the radical indoctrination of our students and children and restore patriotic education to our schools. We will teach our children to love our country, honor our history, and always respect our great American flag. And we will live by the words of our national motto, in God we trust. From Atlanta to Augusta, from Savannah to Columbus, and from Athens to right here, right here, this is a nice place. It's a nice place, Valdasta. We inherit the legacy of generations of American patriots who gave their blood, sweat, and tears to defend our country and our freedom. We stand on the shoulders of American heroes who crossed the oceans, settled the continent, tamed the wilderness, laid down the railroads, raised up the great skyscrapers, won two world wars, defeated fascism and communism and made America into the single greatest nation in the history of the world. And if they get in and add me into the group, if you don't mind, we will be here than ever before without question. The best is yet to come. It is. So I'm going to end it there. Um, because that took like an hour of the Tory Sesh show and we have so much to cover. But 
what the president's the the points that I wanted you to hear, um, you heard, and uh, they were quite important. Now, I'll tell you what I've um, pretty much realized. As I said, when we first came here, I um, was urging uh, the rest of the team to just go with the flow because I've been in that situation before where I see people battling for power, power to sequester information, power to gatekeep information, power of con to control information, that, because information and knowledge is gold. And in order to control the damage that is to come, in order to control the casualties that are to come, this information is used as leverage. Leverage for them. And while it was frustrating for many who hadn't seen it, but I have seen it from the rooftops where I'm watching them battle Right? It's kind of like a request for proposals, you know, that people submit to the government for a contract. I don't know if any of you have done that. But it's a battle of, I got this, I got that. And as this information was being pocketed from over a dozen groups down to six groups, and it's now down to three, we see just how infected people that even want to do good are. Bidding. So you're putting money, a price, on the freedom of your nation? You're putting money first? This is what I've observed. And while many would excuse themselves in the IC, you know, they came to me and said, you know, um, Tori, you know who you work with. I mean, what if you're running a coin? <laughs> what? Obviously, with all that intelligence, number one, you would know better. And number two, wouldn't you then want what I have to suss that out? Hmm? And that's the going narrative from the people that want to sequester control. Because it's kind of like that movie, Ugh, so many of those movies, where it's like the government's in trouble, they're trying to grab the, the bad guys, the terrorists that are coming in. You've seen those shows on TV and the movies. And then they go and hire the biggest hacker who's in a maximum security prison with like no internet, right? And that person saves the day. The only way to beat corrupt people at their game is to have walked with them. So I'm going to remind you of a little story uh, that I told you, and I've <laughs> said this many, many times. The day I got my envelope with my orders after training, I was really, really excited. I was in Pensacola. I was excited. Uh, and I was thinking, damn, is that an oiler? Shit, where am I going to smoke? That was my first thought. I know it sounds super sad, but that was my thought. New Jersey, oh my God. But I was excited because I was very proud of what I was doing. And then 
as I get my envelope and I'm holding on to it and I'm like, oh, this is so great at muster where my last four seem to be the ones popping up all the time, probably because they're like, who is this chick that's rolling up cigarettes with, you know, one hand? She's really good at rolling cigarette tobacco. And that was because it was cheap. Okay. <laughs> it was cheap to buy shredded tobacco and do it yourself. Anyway, so my priority as a ship dweller was that. What am I going to do about cigarettes? And so I had just finished like my interviews for my specific clearance uh, a couple weeks earlier. And I was called to the same room where we had like all the tests where they do the polys and everything. And um, there was a bunch of people and um, they talked to me and said, you know, you're going to serve your country in a better capacity without this. And I was kind of, you know, I was young and I was like, well, you know, Sounds good and dandy, but I got a contract. I don't know. I'm going to put forward for this, and I, I, don't, I can't get out. Don't worry about it. We'll fix it. And suddenly, I found myself uh, working at the archives of the base uh, in the burn room. And, you know, so I was bored, and I was taking tests. I actually completed all 33 parts of the NEATS series. That's Naval Electronic Engineering Training Series because uh, I was bored. I actually completed that in like a week and a half because I was really, really good at um, e-physics. Anyway, um, so the day after, another group of people came <laughs> and said, so uh, we're going to, you know, be watching you and giving you a nudge wherever you need. And um, we'll reach out to you when we need you. I was like, sir, you same people this time. It was like a woman there, too. And you like the same people that came yesterday and it's like, they just blankly stared and I was like, all right then, no answers and very intimidating sitting in this room with two-way windows. <laughs> Fair enough. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great just hanging out at the burn room and studying and no one's telling me anything and that was it. I went in front of a room of people. There was um, captains and whatnot and they were like, thank you. Good luck on serving your country in another capacity. Thank you very, very much. And I was like, um, okay. And I kind of was ushered out. It was really weird. And I wasn't thinking. It was kind of like, you guys saw the video where Millie Weaver was being arrested. And she was like, um, okay, let me find my shoe. And she, she didn't ask for a warrant when normally you would be like, where's your warrant? Where's this, right? That was me. I was kind of like ushered out. And I was like, all right, um, what's going on? And, you know. So that ties into what you're going to kind of understand happened um, back in uh, the mid 2000s. Uh, it's gonna it's gonna make sense to you. Um, and I wanted to like revisit that. I mean, you could probably listen to my shows from like 2018. I've pretty much said this before um, to put it forward. So everything is becoming relevant now. Um, and even with people that I speak, the minute they start talking, I'm like, shut up. Nope. You're going to taint my memory. Stop. We're not talking about this. And that's important because your recollection of memory can, uh, be easily skewed, uh, when someone else, um, injects, uh, their own statements into it. And this is why, uh, many of you are very confused over the past four years, how much memory you have of what actually went on. So, um, Think about it this way. We're in Georgia, right? And, and we're going to talk a little bit about Georgia before we move on to my interview and 
just so you guys understand what's going on. Georgia in 2016 was a very important state. In 2016, they tried to do what they did in 2020, but without the tangible evidence, because there was no way that they would allow any audit to occur. I want to make this clear. The ballot stuffing, the postal workers, the disposal of ballots, the garbage you've seen was not how they won. It was the machines that did it. The machines that used a specific algorithm, they went in and edited it, and they already anticipated a certain percentage. And this is why they had those fail-safes. Now, they had extra precautions like suitcases, make-believe floods, I don't know, shipping ballots, printing ballots, pulling ballots out of their ass, you know, everything. Uh, because, you know, it, they didn't know what to expect. So what you saw, the blocking of the poll watchers, stand six feet and use binoculars, you're not allowed into the room, all that, um, you know, was a problem for them. But they needed to create the tangible evidence because they knew the people would demand an audit and a signature comparison. They knew it. They knew it. So they created the evidence. So how are you going to audit yourself? You can't. It's like me telling you, you know, I just rigged this election and I'm going to make sure that I have the paper ballots to prove it. And you go prove that I'm wrong because I control both the software and the tangible evidence. You can't. You cannot audit yourself. And this is what we're seeing. We see that in Arizona with documentation filed. But let's stick to Georgia. So in 2016, I'm going to tell you something that will come out later, just like many of the stuff that I tell you. But in 2016, there was this closet in Alexandria, Virginia, that may or may not have had people with the commitment keys of that trap door. That what they call some people. I heard. I heard. Um, it was Nate Kane that said, "Yeah, but." all this software has a black box. It's not called a black box. It's called a trap door. But people don't like to say trap door because then people are like, damn, it was Tori that said that. She knows what she's talking about. We can't have her talking because this is why we need to block her because the people that were blocking my information from getting where I needed to be knew exactly who I was and knew that I knew exactly who they were. So um, in Alexandria at a very specific location that may or may not have been in one of my articles pinpointed out. Um, there was a closet where they, there may or may not have been people with, or one person or a team under the control of one clown specific. I mean, Oh, and allegedly whatever that had these commitment keys and um, they were going to deploy the scripts. Right. In order to deploy them and get in that trap door you, to adjust the algorithm and create an allocation of block votes, uh, very subtle throughout uh, the election. Right. You don't like uh, what you guys saw, this flipping of votes. You don't do it in one go because you get caught. 
people are watching. Um, you know, they would run and deploy these scripts, park them in the UK, move them over to Frankfurt, and then just run the script and bring it back. Um, <clears throat> but something happened, apparently. This is how the story goes. Something happened, and for some reason, <laughs> it's like... They couldn't get an internet connection. They were like screwed. And things were going and going and they were trying to mitigate and they couldn't understand how all of that was physically hindered. They just didn't know. So what happened was uh, some individuals within DHS, kind of like the one that Millie Weaver uh, put on blast, Lara Robb, who was on that Zoom call uh, that, our, that our unicorn of a patient counterpart sat and watched all those Zoom calls claimed she worked for Siza. Well, someone from DHS that was located near another closet in Georgia decided, decided to enter through off-the-shelf equipment avenues into the machines. And so it began in, they got caught in Georgia. Who was the one that caught them? Do you remember? It was Brian Kemp, right? He was the secretary. So he came out screaming, oh my gosh, Russians were in our election machines, right? And boy, was that insane. Russians in the election machines? What? And that's why Trump took Georgia? What? And then suddenly, <laughs> the narrative changed. Oh, yeah, so it turns out it wasn't Russians. It was DHS looking for Russians. Shut the front door. First of all, DHS has no business being in any election machine. And I thought the machines aren't connected to the Internet. So there you have what happened in 2016 and why President Trump lost. Because some out-of-wordly thing happened where they... We're unfortunately <laughs> physically hindered, so they couldn't deploy it. And you would think that if they came across such a bad stroke of luck of being caught at a closet, not being able to deploy their stupid little scripts, that they would have stopped. But no, 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 no. They did in 2017. They did it in 2018. They did it in 2019, and boy, did they do it in, well, they did it via other avenues in 2020. And if you guys remember, when I told the world that I had portions of the DNC server, what did I tell you was on it? No one gives a shit about her emails, right? Nobody cares what's on it, right? The, 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 on the emails, Okay. Unless they had attachments, memorandum of understandings, intelligence drops, you know. I told you, and I told the world years ago, what was on there were the commitment keys, election software, if you remember correctly. Aside from the blackmail on everyone, that exists somewhere else too. I mean, come on. Anyone saying that the, the government doesn't have access to the, the blackmail database is totally lying. So... I mean, Hunter Biden's laptop has enough blackmail. <laughs> and this is from seeing stuff that you haven't seen yet. It's pretty great, great. But that's it. 
pretty much. They had everything planned out. I mean, here's here's Biden telling you it. Let me let me let me just play that 13 so ironic 13 second clip of him telling the world that you know they had everything down pack which they did they did it was incredible what they did incredible they had everything planned out to the t when i tell you multiple components i mean it they were spot on they mitigated everything even, even physical hindrances <laughs> they learned Take a listen to what he says. We have put together, I think, the most extensive and inclusive voter fraud organization in the history of American politics. We Let's listen to that again. Put together, I think, the most extensive and inclusive voter fraud organization in the history of American politics. Right? Right? Yes, they did. I mean, look, so fraud that the AP has called the presidential election race for Joe Biden. It's more on Google, because now AP and Google are the authority on U.S. elections. How dare you say you, the voter, or the people that you elected are the authority? No, no, no. It's not how it works. <laughs> That's what they tell you. See, the media is completely obsolete right now. And the more people realize it, the more they start listening to their president, who has been rallying and talking, okay? Because he's telling you the things that these organizations should be telling you, but they're not. They're not going to tell you. They're not. The president has been telling you for a while, just so that you can understand just how far along this is, this is very far along, right? It's a very long-standing issue and concern. The president was talking about votes being flipped in 2012, almost like he knew something. More reports of voting machines switching Romney votes to Obama. Pay close attention to the machines. Don't let your vote be stolen. That was from November 6, 2012. Oh, huh? what? Hmm. Hmm. So you mean what? I mean, could you imagine if in the end you find out that, I don't know, maybe Romney knew he was losing and you really thought that Romney was running, but in all actual fact, he wasn't? Like, what would you say? How would you feel knowing that you were duped? Not only you. Not only you. But the reporters that stuck by Romney. I mean, I'm pretty sure that if the election was predetermined and like something like this went down, like Obama said, listen, I'm going to win, but we're testing out this new software. So um, you go really, really hard. So that way we can see how we can push the capacity of this algorithm. So you run, run, run. And in the end, you're going to lose, but it's going to be a tight race and you're going to be fine. We're going to take care of you, Mitt. Don't worry. Your daughter's going to be put in a good place. Your niece, your husband. Oops. Did I let that slip? Your wife, your son, everyone's going to be taken care of. Don't worry about it.
We're just going to test this out. You know, Tag invested a lot of money in that heart in a civic place. I'm just saying, allegedly, if there was a conversation like this, I think this is how it would go. And, um, you know, Mitt would be like, okay. But then during, you know, the election night, Romney thought, oh, man, what if they can't do this? Then I actually win. Like, maybe I should fight it. I love that control. I, but, you know, I'll just play it safe and I'll concede super quick like McCain did in 2008, setting precedent of not questioning the elections. Just saying. Just saying. Could be. If you found that out, you'd be pissed, wouldn't you? Of course you would be. I mean, come on, man. He lost, and his son owned one of the major companies that had election machines. I mean, I'm just saying. So you're starting to realize slowly that... Almost everything you see is a facade. And while many people that listen to the president and, and, and those definitely that listen to me, they just start getting upset. You're being too cryptic. You're not telling us. Listen, let me tell you about my first encounter with President Trump when I was a kid. I was right by Madison Square Garden. My dad had um, down, the, down the road in the fashion district, he had his... Um, company where he would make fur coats, right? And I was at like Madison Square Garden, like right there. And my dad was screaming across to his friend to go across the street. And um, anyway, uh, President Trump was there with two of his friends. And I mean, he, he's probably had a million encounters like this. I was a little kid, like 10 tops, right? 10 tops. And I think it was the first time that I saw a homeless person. So as my dad told me, stay right here, I'm going to go across, stay on this side of the street, you know, I ran through a group of three dudes and um, went to the homeless guy and started to have a conversation with him. At that point, my dad didn't cross the street because obviously while I ran through these three dudes, I spilled coffee all over. It could have been Trump, his friends, I don't know, whoever. And so I wasn't privy to their conversation, but I um, walked back to my dad and totally as a kid would. And I said, um, hey, dad, give me your card. My dad was whooping out $5 to give me. I said, give me your card. He was like, what for? Here, just give him $5. I said, no, just give me your card. And, you know, Donald Trump put his hand on my head, like patting me. You know how you pat a dog, pat a dog on the head? He's like, what for? I was like, why am I going to give him $5? Like, if I give him the card, dad, you could give him a job. That way he can eat all the time. Kind of like teaching someone how to fish, right? You don't just give him the fish. You teach him how to fish. Uh, I, uh, I, I, the guy never turned up to my dad. But it was at that point that, that, that Donald Trump said, yeah, kid, I like the way you think. When you grow up, come see me for a job. That's what he said. And I remember that because I, you know, it was the first time I, like, like I had seen people that were homeless but didn't know they were homeless. This guy, like, literally had the garbage bags attached to his back and everything. And he had a, 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 um, a cart from Wallbounds. Was it Wallbounds? No. Or was it a Dwayne Reed? It was one of those. And he had stuff in it. So um, that was my first encounter. And... I'm just saying, like, the mentality, I guess maybe it's a New York thing, is not to just give people stuff, but to teach them how to get the stuff. Mm, this is where I'm trying to, 
make you understand how the president is also providing you information that is necessary for you to understand the state of your country. And so with that, I want to tell you how important it is to listen when people are talking because they tell you exactly who they are. And one prime example is how, you know, what we said, someone will get COVIDed or uh, what was it months ago when uh, maybe a year ago when Biden threw his hat in the race, I said, whoa, he's a placeholder and you know what's going to happen, right? He's going to get, they're going to elect him, right? And then what they're going to do is they're going to get him sick and then he's going to leave office, right? And why did they pick Kamala? Well, you know, Jesse Smollett, Avenatti, there's a lot going on that you guys don't seem to be putting, I mean, we don't really need to focus on it, but I just want you to remember that there's a charity called Rise Up. And I, I, I was tweeting about it with my now defunct um, radio account, um, Rise Up where there's pictures of Justice Malay with Kamala Harris and how there's some other investigations looking into that. You know, the reason they ran these two was to block certain investigations. And remember with the Justice Malay, we have Tina Chen and the Obamas involved. So you've got to understand why they selected these people and why they have been anointed by the global powers that be. Well, wannabe powers, because now that's all down and down the drain. So here is where they're telling you exactly what we discussed over a year ago. Pretty much fair and open. Listen. Oops, you can't listen because it's on mute. Give me a sec. But all kidding aside. The first lady to be told me she holds them for you. Yes, she does. But not with she's because she, she and Kamala have become friends. Yeah. But all kidding aside, it's it's a matter of the thing, we are simpatico on our philosophy of government and simpatico on how we want to attach, approach these issues we're facing. And so I don't have, and when we disagree, it'll be just like, it's so far, it's been just like when Barack and I did. It's in private. She'll say, I think we should do A, B, C, or D. And I'll say, I don't, I like A, don't like B and C. Mm -hmm. And it's okay. But, and I, like I told Barack, if, if, if I reach something where there's a, a fundamental disagreement we have based on. Wait a minute. Listen carefully to what he said. Like I told Barack, why is he telling Barack anything? Barack is literally a nobody right now. He's a potentially retroactively impeached SOB with a legacy that's a big turd. Why is he telling Barack anything? First question. Why is he telling Barack anything? Let's just rewind it to there. There's a, a fundamental disagreement we have based on a moral principle. I'll, uh, I'll, 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 I'll develop some disease and say I have to resign. Um, we, we don't have that. I'm a, we haven't, and we discussed at length our views on foreign policy, on domestic policy, on intelligence. And the great thing is she has a background in the Senate on intelligence the Intelligence Committee, she has a background in the Senate on a whole range of things that are going to be pertinent to what we have to do. So for those of you men out there, men, men out there, look at Kamala's face. And for those of you that are listening, I'll describe the face we women make. How many times have you been with your boyfriend, husband, or whatever, 
at a restaurant and they say something like, I don't know, that's TMI, like, oh yeah, she like totally like dropped her panties for me, you know, in, you know, in a room full of people or something completely inappropriate that's TMI, right? And what is it that we do? We purse our lips pissed, right? We're just like, oh my God, I can't believe you just said that. And it's like the mm, purse lip face where you're just like, oh my gosh, when we get home, you're so fucked. Okay, that look and the strain she has in her neck muscles, she's pissed. Why? Because he just told the world that they've agreed that if she wants to go forward with something that he doesn't agree with, he'll get some anonymous d disease and say he has to resign so that she can move on up. Like he said that with his mouth and you should see her face. So for those of you that are listening to this on iHeart, iTunes or whatever, whatever other podcast, you really need to go to my YouTube, my Twitch, my DLive, Facebook, Periscope, wherever they allow me to still thrive. I will try to upload this to my main YouTube channel, which is the Tori Says Show. I have an alternate one called Tori Says News. I'm telling you guys, all you have to do is look at her face. Her eyelashes are like sticking out. Her face is all prudy. And oh my gosh, just listen. He, he literally told the world what their plan is and how he's a placeholder. Listen to that. And he discussed it. Guess get what? With Barack, right? He discussed it with Barack. Listen again. When we disagree, it'll be just like, so far, it's been just like when Barack and I did. It's in private. She'll say, I think we should do A, B, C, or D. And I'll say, I don't, I like A, don't like B and C. Mm -hmm. And let's go, okay. But, and I, like I told Barack, if, if, if I reach something where there's a, a fundamental disagreement we have based on a moral principle, I'll, uh, I'll, 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 I'll develop some disease and say I have to resign. Um, we, we don't have that. I'm a, we haven't, and we discussed at length mm -hmm. our views on foreign policy, on domestic policy, on intelligence. Damn, is she pissed. The thing is, she has a background in the Senate. On a Damn, is she pissed. Now, by the way, with her background in the Senate, let's just talk about that for a second. Remember a couple weeks ago, uh, I said, um, wait a minute, there's a Senate Intel Committee hearing that's closed door. Kamala Harris is on that. She going to be attending, even though she's VP. And why hasn't she resigned from her position if she's vice president, right? Why hasn't she resigned from her position if she's vice president? I, I, this is just a thought. So now, um, before we get into other good stuff uh, and funny stuff, stuff that I could tell you uh, was the highlight of my evening uh, just a couple days ago, and my interview, I want to play a video. And um, this was actually tweeted out by the person I interviewed. Uh, it's from the Epic Times, who have, from two days after I came here, a very good outline of everything. And it seems like they're running through that outline uh, for me. Uh, that tells you a lot of the moving parts, but only little bits and pieces. I mean, there's only so much you can fit into a nice, you know, around and about 10 minute video to update people on what's going on with this election fraud. Now, as you listen to this, I want you to think how many different components they're raising. Because 
if you can try to remove yourself from the situation and look down, you're going to see this is just cray cray town. It is so insane just how many things. And like Biden said, the best election fraud system the nation's ever seen. He's right. They thought of everything. Well, almost everything. Okay. Almost everything. So this video was um, put up on December 5th by the Epic Times. China, 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 China. And um, it's actually quite good. And Gina Shakespeare uh, puts it out. And I'm going to have you guys listen to this. Uh, it's the most comprehensive, comprehensive overview of what's up. Take a listen. Welcome to Declassified. I'm Gina Shakespeare. Across the country right now, we are seeing credible allegations of voter fraud. It has come to light since the fallout of the November 3rd election. We are seeing sworn affidavits and other key evidence, plus a broad range of allegations that cannot be ignored. I've put the link to the extensive infographic that the Epoch Times has designed in the description box below. While you are there, make sure you hit subscribe, like, and also share this content. It's important to understand seven key elements before we deep dive into the major issues surrounding ballots and electronic voting software. I will start with the Chinese Communist Party. It's clear that the communist regime has a lot to gain from a Biden presidency. Over the years, party leader Xi Jinping has cultivated a close relationship with the Biden family. Furthermore, the Biden family has stood to gain from business deals in China, including those with CCP members. The regime, through its state-run media, has made it abundantly clear its support is behind Biden. Another big issue that the American people are dealing with is the media and big tech. The big players like Twitter and Facebook have been very quick to call Joe Biden president-elect. That's despite ongoing legal challenges across the country and pending recounts. They've also labelled anything to the contrary as false or misleading information, including tweets by President Donald Trump himself. Next, we are going to talk about universal mail-in ballots, the easing of mail-in restrictions, poll watchers being obstructed and the issues surrounding the electronic voting systems. This year, universal mail-in ballots were widely adopted for use, and that was in response to the CCP virus. Previously, a voter would have to request an absentee ballot. Then, on top of that, they'd have to get a witness to verify their identity to be able to vote by mail. This year, we saw nine states and the District of Columbia mail out ballots to everyone on their voter rolls, while others suspended the witness requirement. Another thing we saw was an easing of mail-in ballot restrictions. In fact, progressive groups in many states sued to ease security features for mail-in ballots, such as signature and witness requirements, and in some cases to allow ballots to arrive after the election. Also, poll watchers were obstructed in states such as Pennsylvania and Michigan. Some said they were not allowed to properly observe the ballot counting. In some instances, they were told to stand so far back that they required binoculars to observe what ballot counters were doing. Some poll watchers were even forced to stand outside. The electronic voting systems have also been an issue across the country. 
Voting machines, which rely on outdated technology, were vulnerable to hacking. Two of the main companies that produce voting machines in the United States, Dominion and Election Systems and Software, LLC, rely on Chinese parts that makes these machines especially vulnerable. Also, Smartmatic has questionable foreign ties, including to Venezuela. Now we are going to focus on the issues surrounding ballots. In a sworn affidavit filed in Georgia, a poll watcher with 20 years experience says she was surprised to find batches of pristine ballots during the state's recount and noted that the markings for the candidates on these ballots were unusually uniform. The poll watcher estimated that of those ballots, approximately 98% constituted votes for Joseph Biden. Several poll workers in Georgia said in sworn affidavits that during the recount they saw ballots with perfectly made bubble selections. One observer said they all had a perfect black bubble and were all Biden select. According to the observer, as workers went through the ballots, Biden's name was called over 500 times in a row. Poll workers in both Michigan and Georgia said that no effort was made to verify the signatures on the envelopes of mail-in ballots. Over in Detroit, a poll worker said in sworn testimony that she was told not to ask for identification when voters arrived to vote in person. In another situation, tens of thousands of unsealed, unsecured ballots arrived in vehicles with out-of-state license plates in Michigan's Wayne County at 4.30 a.m. in the morning after the election day. That was according to a sworn affidavit by a poll worker. The poll worker said, I specifically noticed that every ballot I observed was cast for Joe Biden. Seven witnesses in Michigan say in sworn affidavits that they saw the same ballots being run through tabulation machines multiple times. One Republican challenger saw a stack of 27 ballots with the ballot numbers covered with tape being run through a tabulator on five separate occasions. A city of Detroit elections worker signed an affidavit saying she was instructed to backdate mail-in ballots and not to look for any deficiencies in the ballots. In Pennsylvania, an analysis of the voter database shows that more than 51,000 ballots were marked as returned just a day after they were sent out, an extraordinary feat given the U.S. Postal Service delivery times, while nearly 35,000 were returned on the same day they were mailed out. Another more than 23,000 had a return date that was earlier than the sent date. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court ruled on September 17th that election officials could accept all mail ballots, including absentee ballots, up to three days after the November 3rd election. However, on November 6th, U.S. Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito ordered Pennsylvania election officials to segregate ballots that arrived after Election Day. Republican poll watchers in Philadelphia, Detroit and other major cities say they were obstructed from properly observing the handling and counting of ballots. Watchers say that they were told to stand back so far that they couldn't see what was happening. Or in some cases, ballots were handled in rooms in which they had no access. Other poll watchers said they were denied access despite having proper credentials. According to Rudy Giuliani, lawyer to Trump, in Pennsylvania alone, there were more than 682,000 mail-in ballots that were entered that were not observed by any single Republican. One Philadelphia poll worker said the vast majority of mail-in ballots were processed 15 to 200 plus feet from us. The poll worker said it was impossible for any observer 
to see what the workers were doing and the observers were not able to challenge any decision or determination being made on the processing of these mail-in ballots. A lawsuit filed in Georgia on November 30th states that decreased signature verification arose because counties did not screen mismatched and absent signatures and ballots unsigned without the oath as required by the election code. Similar accusations of a lack of signature verification requirements have been made in states across the country. In Arizona, a judge ruled on November 30th that the state's Republican Party could inspect a sampling of mail-in ballot envelopes. Similar requests in Georgia have so far been rejected. By comparing data to the National Change of Address database, an analyst Matt Brainerd and his team identified hundreds of thousands of people in six contested states, including Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, Wisconsin, Arizona, and Nevada, who had moved out of state yet still had a vote cast in their name in the state. Georgia, for example, had 138,222 such people. Brainerd's team identified based on voter registration data, voters who registered using a post office box but attempted to disguise the box number as an apartment or suite number. Just in Georgia, his team found 1,000 such people. An affidavit by Benjamin Overholt, an expert in applied statistics and research methods at the University of Northern Colorado, notes that there was a 0.15% rejection rate in the 2020 general election compared to a 0.28% rejection rate in the 2016 general election. 0.20% in the 2018 general and 0.28% in the 2020 primary. Next, let's look at the numerous issues surrounding the electronic voting systems which have made numerous headlines in recent weeks. Alex Haldeman, a professor of computer science at the University of Michigan, testified before the Senate Intelligence Committee in June 2017 about how easy it can be to manipulate computerized voting machines. Haldeman said that during his research, he and his team found they could reprogram the machine to invisibly cause any candidate to win. According to the Wall Street Journal, one of the voting machine vendors used in the United States, Smartmatic, was, as of 2005, owned by Venezuelan investors. According to the New York Times in 2006, the company was linked to the latest Venezuelan government of President Hugo Chavez. It is unclear who owns Smartmatic at the moment. The company itself is mysterious about its ownership, other than stating it is privately owned. Voting machines produced by Dominion have built-in settings that allow for manual alterations. Options include giving different weights to votes belonging to different candidates. The system also allows for ballots to be scanned multiple times and for vote results to be removed. These functions make the system vulnerable to manipulation. In looking at these systems, we identified almost a dozen ways that you can inject or interdict to manipulate votes, that's according to cybersecurity expert Colonel Phil Waldron, who testified before Arizona lawmakers on November 30th. According to a sworn affidavit by a cybersecurity expert in Georgia, Dominion personnel were the only ones with knowledge of and access to the Dominion server. The expert said this was highly unusual in his experience and of grave concern from a security and conflict of interest perspective. He also said it was apparent Dominion employees have complete access to the computer system. Dell computers running the Dominion server appeared not to have been hardened. That's the process of securing a system by reducing its surface of vulnerability. That's according to a cybersecurity expert who observed votes during the Georgia primaries. 
The expert said he found it unacceptable for an EMS server not to have been hardened prior to installation. A cybersecurity expert in Georgia said he observed that computers used to process votes in Georgia during the primaries appeared to have home and small business companion software packages installed on them. One of the first procedures of hardening is removal of all unwanted software and removal of those game icons and the associated games, the experts said. A cyber expert who observed the Georgia primary said the Windows system of the main computer in the rack connected to the Dominion voting system had not been updated for four years and carries a wide range of well-known and publicly disclosed vulnerabilities. The expert noted the server appeared to be an ad hoc operation with no formalized process. The Federal Election Assistance Commission, EAC, is responsible for the certification of all voting machines used in the U.S., The agency, however, is so small that in 2017, senators sent a letter to the EAC raising concerns about the fact that the agency employs only one full-time staff member dedicated to overseeing the certification process. The agency relies on only two small companies to conduct actual testing. I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to stop right there because I'm telling you, we talked about this. This is where the mother load lands. <laughs> it's kind of like we have all this junk on top. The postal workers, the election officials, the state legislators, the Democrats, the unions, Black Lives Matter, Sunrise Movement, all of them are hanging out on this carpet and it goes whoosh, done in one sweep. What was meant for evil will be used for good. The poll observer from Pennsylvania's Delaware County, Greg Stenstrom, said he personally observed USB cards being uploaded to voting machines by the voting machine supervisor on multiple occasions. Stenstrom told Pennsylvania lawmakers during a hearing on November 25th that this person was not being observed and was not part of the process from what he could see. According to Stenstrom, the supervisor was walking in with baggies and he observed him plugging the cards into the machine at least 24 times. An information technology contractor for Dominion Voting Systems who worked at the TCF Center in Michigan and a former state senator who was a poll challenger both said in sworn affidavits that the voting machines used in the November 3rd election were connected to the internet. However, Dominion has denied its machines are connected. It's clear our nation is moving into uncharted territory as multiple legal challenges have been filed in response to the 2020 elections with more challenges expected to come. Both candidates have claimed victory in certain states, but it appears increasingly likely that this election will be resolved in the courts. For that reason, the Epoch Times will not declare a winner of the 2020 presidential election until all legal challenges are resolved. We encourage you to watch and read our ongoing coverage as our reporters cover all developments over the next weeks and months. Please take the time to hit. They do. They will cover and they are covering. And here's where we're going to take a really short break where I come back uh, with my interview. Uh, which will be uh, exactly what you need because if, if, if people actually listen to the shows that I've done after my hiatus, because when I first came here, it was a little bit erratic. So many groups, so many gatekeepers, so much rubbish. Stuff that I've seen and I was just like, and I know it's going to sound so pretentious, so pretentious. 
But I'll leave you with this. When you're looking down at all these contractors uh, that are fighting for your attention uh, to help with stuff, you know, from from up above, because we have the contractors that are directly connected to our agencies, then they have contractors, and then there's like the super contractors. Okay, so let's just... These are the, the MIB, right? That then put together plans that they deploy to your generals and your military and to the other MICs that are directly connected. So I've seen the cat fights and the in the you know peacocking all my life. And you know, being the and I know it sounds bad saying it, being the, the nice little girl. <laughs> You know, that's five foot nothing. It's quite vicious, though. But I was always paying attention. And and I say this, um, I guess, if I wasn't raised the way I was, it would have been really different. Because a lot of people want to hang out with the cool kids. You know, I was always that nerd, that awkward nerd. Um, and I was actually raised in a church, no joke, in, in New York. Um, and it's an old calendar church. So it's one of the strictest Orthodox churches. And um, maybe it helps that I have uh, appointed within the Greek Orthodox Church family members Um but I guess that, that, that even though I had lost my way, I don't know if I've, I've shared this with you guys before, but it was one time that I um, was on leave and I arrived really early on a Sunday morning to pop in and see my parents before I went somewhere. And um, I didn't want to wake them up. So I usually would go to the Annunciation Church that my parents, you know, districting was. But I decided to go to St. John's that day. And it was uh, the day that they were reading. Um, it was the, the Sunday of the prodigal son. And I know this is going to sound so overdramatic, but I kid you not, it happened exactly like this. So it was windy. And, um, you know, if it's not super summer, it's really cold when you're by the sea, right? So I, I I went to the church, took took my bag and parked it outside of the church, and it's pretty massive because all the all the women that are over fifty five that have now entered into the menopause phase, right? And 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 I know it sounds really weird saying it, but it does. Um, they can't have kids anymore. Let's say they always go to church and they always start to dress the same. It's like Greek women morph into like this, you know, what you see hanging out from the balcony screaming you know, in movies, no joke. Um, so it's packed. And I didn't always go to St. John's. I would go sometimes like if a friend of mine, um, in the summer would go to like their mom's friends baptism or something. Cause I would only spend summers there as a kid. Um, or my cousins would have to go there. Or my aunts were invited to something, you know, so I open up the front doors and I remember it was really windy because it was hard to open the doors and they're really heavy and wood and, you know, they kind of like both open up. And it was, it was pretty dramatic because as they opened up, the wind just like, 
And all I hear is the priest saying, come to me, my son, who had, you know, gone away to the faraway lands and did all these sins and stuff. Come and I will slaughter the best, you know, uh, and we will feast. And I was thinking, I was like in tears. I was legit in tears. And this is before I had my, um, my first child. I was in tears um, because I had something heavy on my heart um, that is actually quite pertinent to what's going on today. And I remember that and I was so, you know, in that zone for a bit. And then, um, you know, it was like so weird and dramatic. Like it, it had to be like a movie, right? So I opened it up, the wind's there and and then the the, the, the bishop is making, you know, reading out the scripture and doing his hand, like, come, my son. And I'm just like standing there. And then everyone in the pews, like, kind of turns around because there's a draft now because somebody opened both the doors and that was me. So um, it was a way of uh, pulling my eyes somewhere else. And I, I guess being young, uh, being entrenched in, and enarmored with other things, uh, you lose the message, sort of. And over the next couple of years, it kind of muted out. Um, and even with my trip to Israel, it had muted out. It, it kind of sparked and muted out. But it wasn't until that odd, odd, odd moment in 2005 that um, was like, what? So after this break... Um, maybe that will come into more focus. And I, I really do believe that my faith is what kept, I mean, being raised in the faith correctly and correctly, meaning it wasn't shoved down my throat. Um, well, it kind of was when I was a kid. I mean, the, the priest of St. Markella in Astoria, New York, he was a priest. Now he's a bishop. He used to like, take the ruler and smack my hand because, um, you know, I wasn't doing my work right. And it, this is after school. <laughs> and I would make fun of this boy that kept peeing his pants. And I was awkward as a child because I was like, a, um, as I said, I was a nerd. I was a little bit too ahead of my time um, as a kid with my math and being bored and causing trouble. Um but they, they raised me well to be able to discern good from evil, even though um, sometimes evil doesn't even know it's evil. You know, nobody wakes up and says, I want to do bad. I, it, no one does. So on that note, as we are mending these wings of our beautiful eagle that represents our nation, and we listen to these beautiful words and this amazingly beautiful woman, uh, we're going to take this short intermission and um, come back to this uh, incredible interview. So I'll see you guys in just a bit.